It is pure irony to me that the words, in God we trust, is printed on all of our money. You ever wonder about that? I mean, really, the very thing that most of us have trouble trusting the Lord in is the very thing that is written all over it, in God we trust. We toss around this phrase, in God we trust, like it is a penny that could be taken or left behind. For some of us, it is like a penny dropped on the ground, either trash or one cent closer to a million dollars. Do we ever think about these words when we see them on our money? In God we trust. I mean, do we put much thought into what it really means to trust in God? I mean, I don't just mean when things are going pretty well and it's pretty easy. But how about when the world is crashing down around us, when life gets really hard, when we wish we had one more penny to make it through? Do we really trust God? I mean, this is a question for you to consider right now as we come into this time. Do you really trust God, or is that just some words written on some money that's in your pocket? Do you really trust God when everything is crashing down? How about this? Do you trust God when everything isn't coming and crashing down? When there is a plenty? When you have all the pennies in your pocket you could need? Do you trust God? In yet another psalm, in which we will read about David's life being threatened, Another psalm this summer, big surprise, uh, where David's enemies are closing in when all hope seems lost. This is where we are in the psalms this summer. Every psalm we've looked at this entire summer has been about David's life being in danger, about things crashing down. And here's a question for you. Do you ever think that maybe David was just a drama queen? I mean, did it ever occur to you as we read through the Psalms that, like, David is just kind of a wuss? I mean, the dude is constantly writing about how awful his life is. Do you actually think that David went through what David went through? Or is that just empty words like the words written on our money? Friends, if you are a student of Scripture at all, if you have read through the Old Testament, First and Second Samuel, and you've read of David's life, you know he's not a drama queen. This was a man who, despite being made after God's own heart, only got there through trial after trial after trial, through problem after problem after problem. And David is one who, through all of it, no matter what it was, no matter what would come, David is the man who trusts after God. 
I mean, that's what you should have picked up in the last few Psalms over and over. And it's where we're going to be looking at today as well. See, I love David. I love David because David is a king, but he's every man's man. Right? He's the one. He, his life just kind of feels like ours. He's got good days. He's got bad days. He's got high days and he's got low days. He's got painful days. And he's got days that are absolutely perfect. And in all of it, what does David do? He trusts in the Lord. And I think that gives us an opportunity to learn from him. Now, I will be the first to tell you that, that there is no hero in the Bible but God. David is no hero. David is no champion. David is just one small piece that points to what we call a true and better, to Jesus. I mean, consider Jesus, even now before we get into our passage, and we think about Jesus being the most blessed man that has ever lived. And yet, what did he face? Hardship, pain, rejection, trial. But what did he do? He too trusts in the Lord. Let us go to Psalm 56. To Psalm 56. And hear the words of a man who is, yet again, yet again, in danger. Yet again, in the middle of a problem. Yet again, facing some hard trials. And let me just tell you, if you are one who is facing hard trials today, and I know we have people in this room who are right now, I want you to hear these words. But not just hear them with your ears, but hear them with your hearts and your minds. Here's David writing, leading us in this prayer as well. He says, Be gracious to me, O God, for man tramples on me. All day long an attacker oppresses me. My enemies trample on me all day long, for many attacks, for, for many attack me proudly. When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God, whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me? All day long they injure my cause. All their thoughts are against me for evil. They stir up strife, they lurk, they watch my steps as they have waited for my life. For their crime will they escape. In wrath cast down the peoples, O God. You have kept count of my tossings. Put my tears in your bottle, and they, are they not in your book? Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. In God whose word I praise, in the Lord whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you, for you have delivered my soul from death. Yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Church, in this passage, there are a few words, phrases, really, that he comes back to over and over. But not just in the words, but in the whole heart of this passage. When you let the psalm, and you really should when you're reading psalms, you should let them speak to your heart. Not just in the words they say, but in how they say it and how they get there. Just as a song that we sing on Sunday morning should move us in a way, the song here, this is a song, is meant to do the same. 
And what we get both from the words and the heart of this passage is that God is one that we should trust. No matter else what he says here, no matter the details of the trials and the suffering and the problems that he faces, he lands over and over again in this idea of trusting praise. Trusting praise. And that's what I want to look at with us today. The question is, how can we, how do we, no matter what is happening around us, praise God with our trust? And what does it look like? So let us dive into the word here. We're going to start with three foundations of trusting praise. Three foundations of trusting praise. These are the things that trusting praise is built from. And then we're going to move to what trusting praise looks like. But we want to start with the foundations of trusting praise. We see these first in verses 3 through 4. He writes, When I'm afraid, I put my trust in you. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can flesh do to me. He starts with the word of God. Hear this. Verse 4. In God whose word I praise, in God I trust. See, he looks to the word of God as the foundation for everything else that he's going to talk about. We have a fancy word for this. It's called the sufficiency of Scripture. The sufficiency of Scripture means that, that Scripture is sufficient for everything in our lives. It is sufficient, right? We see this in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17 when it says that, that every word of Scripture... It's profitable for the teaching, the rebuking, the training, and the righteousness, so that the man of God may be complete, trained in every good work. When you look at that and you, you see those words complete and every good work, it should, you should realize that, that it's because Scripture alone will get us there. Scripture alone is profitable for the training, the rebuking, the righteousness, that we might become complete. It's because scripture itself is complete for what we need. Now hear this. There's a lot of other things that we might turn to that might be helpful. Right? There's other books. There's sermons. There's conversations with people about the word. There's a lot of resources that we all have in this, in this world. The trouble is, is too many of us too often go straight to those things rather than to the scripture, which is everything we need. It's everything that we need. Not too long ago, I was having a conversation with a brother in Christ. He's a pastor of a church that's certainly a little bit more charismatic than we are. And that's fine. That's, that's grand. One of the things that he said to me as we were talking, he said, you know, you've got this luxury because you just bring, bring your people back to the word every time. Right? He says, you, you just bring your people back to the word every time. You just go with what the Bible says. And I said, yeah, isn't like that's what we're supposed to do. He said, yeah, I do that. But then they say, but then the Holy Spirit tells me. So you say, the word says one thing, but the Holy Spirit's telling you another thing? That's a problem. 
Right? It's a problem that the Holy Spirit might say something the Word doesn't say. Now, I'm not telling you not to listen to the Holy Spirit. But if the Holy Spirit says something the Word doesn't say, that's kind of scary. God will never say something through the Holy Spirit that he has not confirmed in the Word. It is sufficient for everything we need to grow in maturity, to grow in, as believers become what he's made us to be. David looks at Scripture here, right? He says, look, your word is, I praise. Now, why can he praise the word? I mean, we're not supposed to praise or worship anything but God, right? Well, good news for David. He may not even fully understand this yet because it hasn't been revealed in John 1, but Jesus is the word. It is actually right to praise the word of God because it is an expression, a revelation of who God is. It's shows us, it points us to Jesus, to the one who has rescued us and saved us. It is sufficient because Christ is sufficient. And so we see David go to the sufficiency of Scripture first. Now this is really important for us because it's where we should go too. Right? When hard times come, when struggles come, where do you turn? Do you turn to the Bible? Do you open up this book and search it for answers and solutions, for, for encouraging words that will bring you through? Or do you go to something or anything else? This is all the more stunning to me as you think about David because, you know, David, all he had at this point was about this much of the Word of God. Right there. He had not a single passage in the New Testament about Jesus, about the cross, about salvation. And yet he looks at it and he says, look, that's all I need. And we have so much more, but we turn to so many other places. The other stunning thing when I think about David and his reliance first on the word, his, his driving himself back to it, is that he also didn't have one of these. I mean, they didn't carry their Bible around in their phone, right, that we, that we do. He didn't carry a book around with him. At that point, the, the word was written on scrolls, and they were kept in a safe place. Now, as the king, he had access to them, right? He could go, and he could read them and study them, but the average person couldn't. All they had was what they got when they gathered for worship, but it's still enough. See, there's a reason the Bible tells us to treasure the word of God in our hearts, to memorize it and meditate on it. So that when we are in those hard times and we don't have a Bible immediately in front of us, immediately the word will come to mind. Immediately the word will speak to us and draw us to what we've already read to what we've already studied. Well, that's a problem if you've never read and never studied and never memorized it. What do you have to turn to? I don't care if you're an old Christian or a baby Christian. Start, if you haven't, reading, studying, memorizing, and meditating on the Word of God. Because it is the first foundation of trusting praise. The Word of God. Of course, David doesn't end there, does he? 
See, he then moves, of course, to God. And here's the thing. The, the word is sufficient because God is sufficient. The word is everything we need because God is everything we need. Not only is the word of God sufficient, but God himself is sufficient. The sufficiency of God. Church, you need to hear this. You do not need anything in your life but God. You don't need anything in your life but God. David says, verse 3, he says, I shall not be afraid, right? Verse 3, he says, when I am afraid, I put my trust in you. Now, this does not mean that he will not experience fear. We can't control our situations. We don't know what will happen to us when we go out into the world. And there are a lot of scary things in this world. We don't know when an attack will come. We don't know when someone will strike us, will startle us. We don't know. But church, hear this, God does. We don't control our situations. Here's another thing you don't control. You don't control your emotions. If you're afraid... You got to hear this. It's okay. Do you know it's okay to be afraid? I mean, the Bible tells us, Jesus tells us not to be. So what I mean when, when I say that it's okay to be, if you're experiencing it, then own it. And use that to turn to the one who tells us not to. Use that to, to drive you to the one who says, look, you don't need to be afraid because I am here with you. We can't control our emotions, but what we can control is what we do with them. And when you experience fear, does it drive you to run away from the, the stuff going on in your life? Does it drive you to attack what's going on in your life? Or does it drive you to the feet of Jesus, the one who can make a difference? He says, I shall not be afraid. This is a decision David is making in the middle of a time when someone's trying to kill him. What are your problems compared to that? David says, look, even if that's going to happen to me, I'm still not going to be afraid. I will not let fear drive me. I will not let fear drive me. He says then, what can flesh do to me? <laughs> well, here's a reality check. Flesh can do all kinds of stuff to you and to David. Flesh, being another human being, can attack you, beat you, steal your stuff, leave you for dead, or outright kill you. Right? Flesh, another human being, can hurl insults, tear you down, break your ability. Flesh can take your livelihood, it can take your home, it can take everything from you, right? But David still says, and it is still true, what can flesh do to me? Here's David's point. If flesh does all of those things to you or to him, what does it matter? Right? What does it matter if everything is taken from you, even your very life? If you have God, you have enough. He is sufficient. Flesh can do nothing for us if we have God. Can do nothing against us if we have God. And you look at Jesus, right? Jesus gave it all up, everything. Tells us in Philippians chapter 2 that Jesus gave up the very holding on of divinity. He laid out his divine power 
laid it down, became a servant in the form of a slave that he might lay his life and die for us. Was anything taken from him? No, why? Because he still had God. Because he had God and nothing else matters. See, we're going through life over and over again as if all this other stuff does matter. God becomes the last priority in a busy week. Trust me, I know. But a really busy week. God becomes the last priority in the stress and struggle of life when he should be sufficient over all of it. Moving on just a little bit. Down to verse 9, we see this said even more clearly. He says, Then my enemies will turn back in the day when I call. This I know that God is for me. This I know that God is for me. Friends, not only is, is Scripture sufficient for everything we need, not only is God sufficient for everything we need, but Two, <laughs> but hear this, that God is for you. That God is for you. I mean, here's David in whatever situation he's in, his enemies are all around him, and he looks out and he says, you know, my problems are very real, my struggle is very real, but God is for me. If God is for you, then who can be against you? The God who breathed and all that exists came into being. Who, 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 who breathed, right? And life came into that which was not life before. If God is for you, then who can be against you? See, the foundation here is that we have a loving God who cares for us. We have a loving God who is on our side, and yet so often we act like people for whom God is not on our side. In fact, some of us, I fear, think that God isn't on our side, but that he is constantly looking for the reason to crush us. Some of us grew up in church where there was a God proclaimed that constantly wants to crush us, to break us, to punish us, to discipline us. I got news for you. God doesn't got to look very far, right? If he wanted to crush you and needed a reason for it, he's got it. 10,000 sins every day. He's not looking for a reason to crush you or me. What God is doing is looking for every reason not to. Of course, he doesn't have to look anywhere beyond his own son for that. His son who was crushed, beaten, killed, for our sake. Why? So that he wouldn't have to crush us. When we talk about trusting praise, what we need to realize is that it's the only response to a God who has given everything, to a God who's infinitely able to carry us through hardships and problems and pain. We see it all over David's psalm here. All over it. 
to trust God in the midst of the problems, to know that he's got your back. So what does this look like? I mean, what does it look like to have trusting praise, right? We've looked at the foundations, the sufficiency of scripture, the sufficiency of God, and the fact that God loves us. He's on our side. He's for us. Well, he gives us a picture in verses 10 through 13. He gives us a picture of this in 10 through 13. Here's what he says. In God whose word I praise, right? We've already seen these words elsewhere here. In the Lord whose word I praise, he repeats himself. That's important. In God I trust, I shall not be afraid. What can man do to me? Again, he's repeating his words over and over. These are important things to remember. Trusting praise begins with praise, with declarations, with words from our mouths. And that's what he's talking about here. We know David to be a man of song, a man of dancing, right? A man of rejoicing. His whole body, his whole voice, every bit of it involved in the worship of God. Why? Because God is worth every bit of it. And so he starts off with praise, with just honest praise. God, you are amazing, and I put my trust and my faith in you. You know, it's so refreshing to hear somebody declare that out loud. We need to be a people that are constantly, with our voices, declaring out loud how awesome God is. Your brothers and sisters in church need you to do that. The lost people in this world need you to do that. That if we actually would walk out of the doors of this place proclaiming God the same way we proclaim him here, what difference would that make the people around us? To hear, hey, there is a God who is so awesome and here who is, this is who he is. Do you get the opportunity? Do you take the opportunity? Do you make the opportunity to proclaim his praise? to the world around us, to the believers around us who need encouragement. Say, the people around you do not need one more conversation about the coolest car, the newest video game, the newest political trend, or anything else. The people around you need you to talk about Jesus a lot. They need you to talk about how awesome it is that, that God is who God is and that he's done what he's done in your life to save you. You should walk around telling people, hey, I know this God who's really awesome and he, he rescued me and I used to be this, but now I'm this. Amen. Trusting praise begins with opening our mouths and proclaiming that praise. It happens here in church. You know, I get the pleasure of leading worship, of singing and proclaiming. I, I love it. But what I know is that while some of us in this room are like belting it out, and it doesn't matter what it sounds like, there are others who are like, I love God, and he's awesome. Really? I mean, you're, you're talking about God. You're talking about Jesus. You're supposed to be singing about the one who has saved us and rescued us. People, if I'm up here and I'm leading, you know what I shouldn't be able to do? I shouldn't be able to hear my voice. 
even through the mic. All I should hear is the praises of the people. Sing loud. Lift your voices to the Lord. Scott knows this really well. We always pick on Scott because we can. <laughs> Guys, did you know that Scott doesn't have the best singing voice? I mean, probably Wendy does today. <laughs> you know how we know that? Because he doesn't care that his voice is not the prettiest voice in the room. God is worth every bit of every bit of volume he can pump out. And God is worth every bit of the volume you can pump out to praise him. And let me ask you, do you trust God enough to sing out loud amongst his people regardless of how it sounds? If you don't, then I'm not sure how you can possibly think about trusting God the rest of the time. This is the safest place you'll ever be. Okay? It begins with praise. Song, singing, loud, words, energy, excitement, right? We love the Lord. But where does it land? Where does this really land? Because it really doesn't take that much trusting praise to sing loud. I mean, I'm poking fun at it because it's, it's easy. Verse 12, he says this, I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. He then says, verse 13, For you have delivered my soul from death, yes, my feet from falling, that I may walk before God in the light of life. Now the first thing to point out here is that obviously David trusts him for salvation. Right? He trusts him that he has saved his soul from death. That's the first big piece here. You do not trust God if you do not trust him for salvation, period. It is the bare minimum. God has done all of the work to save yourself. How does that play out in our lives? It means that you will do nothing to contribute to it. It means that no matter how good you are, no matter how many rules you follow, no matter how many commands you keep, you get no closer to it because he's already done it all. And every moment that you spend trying to pay him back, that you spend trying to earn your way or partner with him in some way in that, you're basically saying to him, I don't trust you. You're basically saying to him, you haven't done enough, I need to do more. Friends, this is the Catholic faith. This is the faith of cults. This is not the faith of Scripture. Okay? You do not contribute to it in any way except that you bring sin into it, making the need for salvation. That's what we bring to our salvation, the reason for it. How else does it look like to trust God? Here's what he says. I love this. He says in verse 12, I must perform my vows to you. I must perform my vows to you, O God. I will render thank offerings to you. Right, he says, look, I'm going to do what I'm supposed to do. That's what it means when he says, I'm going to perform my vows to you. I am going to do what you've called me to do. Not because it's going to earn my way, but because I'm just going to do what I'm supposed to do. Christian, you need to hear this. We should be doing the things we're supposed to be doing. 
that may seem a little bit strange that I've even got to say that. We should do the things that we've said that we're going to do. Let your, let your yes be yes and your no be no. Right? Jesus says, love your neighbor. Then love your neighbor. Right? All of these things. He's just, David says, look, I'm going to do the things that I've said I'm going to do. Amen. Would we all be people of trust to do the things that we're supposed to do and that we've said we're going to do? But then he says this. At the very end, he says that I may walk before God in the light of life. Church, this is the posture. This is the posture of trusting praise. That we are actually going to walk the walk before God in the light of life. Here's what God is calling to us here. What David is just reminding of us here. Do you live your life for God or do you live it for something else? See, David is talking about living the life that he's supposed to because the light of God is always shining on him. Because God is always with him. David can go forward because he knows that God's got his back. And so David's going to be willing to do anything. Willing to do anything to serve the Lord. And he knows that his feet are going to be kept from falling. This is really important when you think about it. I, I've done a lot of hiking. I've done a fair bit of night hiking. I actually love night hiking. For one, it's usually cooler at night than it is in the day. But if you get one of those really cool nights where the moon is so bright that you can just kind of see everything, versus a night when you're out walking in the dark and you cannot see anything, when you can see everything around you, you move pretty fast, right? You know where to step. You can step around rocks. You can grab a branch to climb over something. But in the dark, you're worried that you're going to run into a tree, right? You're worried that you're going to trip over a rock and break your ankle. Do you trust God enough to walk in the dark? To trust that the light that he's providing for you is enough? To live a different kind of life. See, living in faith is what this is all about. If we're going to have trusting praise, trust is meant to be lived. It's meant to be lived. And what that looks like for the Christian is that our lives are going to look different from the people around you. And if you were to spend just a few minutes, maybe spend today, this afternoon, thinking about your life and thinking about, all right, how is my life different from Bob, my neighbor, or whoever your neighbor is, or from my family who doesn't know Jesus, or from the guy who lives down the hall, what does doing life different mean? Church, it means that we're going to love our spouses different. It means we're going to love our spouses different. That we're going to make choices about how we care for our spouse. You know, one of the, the, the worst things that I ever hear from Christians is when they make the same jokes that are made on sitcoms about their spouses. The same jokes that belittle the one that is supposed to be their partner for all of life. The one they are supposed to have become one 
with. And yet I see it, I hear it all the time. Not necessarily from you all, but sometimes. You know, the, the ball and chain kind of things. I mean, my wife's pretty awesome, but she is not a ball and chain. She's pretty much anything but. She set me free. Do you love your spouse the way Christ loves his spouse, the church? Men, giving up your life for them? Your wants, your needs, your hopes, your dreams? So that they can have what they need? Do you love your spouse different? Here's another question. Do you love your kids different? Do you love your kids different than the world loves their kids? Do you love your stepkids different than they do? Do you love the kids in your life different than how the world does? How about this? Do you love the person you're not married to but dating different than the world does? See, God calls us into certain kinds of relationships, certain kinds of holiness, He calls us to do things different. And one of the questions that we've got to look at if we're dating someone is, am I loving this person the way I'm supposed to? Am I a Christian in this relationship or am I just a Christian outside of it? Does what we do with that person bring glory to the Lord or bring glory to Satan? How about this? Friendships. Do we do friendships differently? You know, the picture that we get in the Bible of friendship, of, of fellowship, particularly with other believers, we were talking about this in Sunday school today, is stunning. It's beautiful. I mean, you look at David and his friendship with Jonathan back in the Old Testament. Man, they, they're, described, they're, they're more than, than brothers. There's trust, there's care, there's love, there's sacrifice. Is that how you friend with people? differently than the way the world friends? How about neighboring, those people who live next door to you? You know, over the the years, I've gotten to know my neighbors, at least some of them better. We all live pretty far apart because we live out in the kind of middle of nowhere. But it's been really cool to kind of see an interaction with one of my neighbors change over the last three years. What started as kind of a, if you help me, I'll help you, kind of like back and forth has become a, let's just help each other. Because when we interact with our neighbors, it should be different than when when neighbors who don't know Jesus interact with each other. It should be different. Church, we need to work differently to the glory of the Lord. We need to do retirement differently. I talked about that a couple months ago. We need to do free time differently. We need to use our minds differently. We need to spend our money differently. Well, what does this have to do with trusting praise? Well, the way the world does stuff is easy. The way Christ has called us to do it is hard. And it takes trust that God is going to bring us through, that God is going to make it work, that God is going to make it impactful, that God is going to use it to change the world and bring the kingdom in. If you do not trust God with these areas of your life and more, I can't talk about all of them, then you don't trust God. 
If you don't live differently than the world does, then you don't trust God. But when you look at David in the midst of all the problems that he's facing, the suffering, the attacks, and you look at him and, he, and you just go, man, David is doing something different. Here's one of those moments where you see that in David's life. Right, there's a moment when David is in a cave. Saul, his enemy, comes into the cave to relieve himself. A lot of you guys know this story. He gets close enough that David actually cuts a bit of his cloak off. And afterwards, King Saul leaves the cave, and David comes out and says, Hey, look, I, I could have killed you, but I didn't. God, that takes some serious trust. I can tell you, if I'm in a cave with a guy who's trying to kill me and he doesn't know I'm there, it's done. Okay? But he did it differently. He did it differently. And every bit of our lives should be different as Christians. Because he's made us to be different. So church, let me ask you this today. Will you put your faith and trust in God and live differently? For some of us, that means that we need to trust differently moving forward. Our trust needs to move from beyond the bounds of I trust God, I, I trust his word, to the steps, the footsteps that we make as we leave this place and go out into the world. For some of us, though, that means that we may need to put our trust and our faith in Christ for the first time. And if you're someone who's in this room right now and you have never done that, then don't wait. We don't know when life will not give us the opportunity to change, when life will not give us the opportunity. We don't know. This week, I did a funeral for someone who didn't know that, today, that, this, that week was going to be the last week. You don't know. And so don't wait. Put your trust and your faith in Christ. If you need to talk about what that looks like, come find me after church, Scott, or someone else here that you know loves Jesus. We want to talk to you about what it means to trust God, not just with salvation, but with our lives and everything coming out of them. Would you pray with me? God, we thank you for your word today, which is sufficient. We thank you for you, sufficient for us, for the love that you have for us, which is also sufficient. And God, we pray that we would be people who respond to that in, in faith with our very lives. I thank you so much, Lord, for this church, for these people to hear and, and listen, and who will go out and live this. I pray, Lord, that you would challenge us in those ways, those specific areas of each of our lives, Lord, that that, that faith and that trust needs to come before you. Those areas that we have not trusted you in, Lord, I pray your spirit would show us those. It says in Psalm 139 that you would search us and try us and reveal to us in any unright ways in us. That even in this time of communion, we're about to have the Lord's Supper. God, that your spirit would speak to us, point those out to us. Let us confess those before you and seek you for help. God, we thank you and we praise you. We come before you in all of this, Lord. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. Church, we come to the Lord's Supper.